Welcome to Interplay. This is Michael Shapiro, your host. Today I have a dear friend who I'm speaking to from Chappaqua, New York, to Lucerne, Switzerland, Sir James Galway. Hi there, Sir James. How are you? Hi, Michael. Very good. Thank you. You look splendid. So as we go yeah, well, through... I don't, I don't feel too bad considering it's lockdown. I know. It produces know. a certain amount of lethargy. It does, but one must fight the lethargy. And uh, I know that when this first started... I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> do you do the same practicing you've always done? Yes, I do. So let me ask you a question. Because... Go ahead. When... <laughs> that's my job. When... When I speak to athletes, because I know a lot of basketball players here, I, you know, it's very un easy to understand their practicing. And a great instrumentalist is almost like an athlete. You have to practice to keep perfect, as it were. And nothing's perfect. As well, you, you know the old saying, Michael, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Yeah. And this is absolutely true. Do you think there's a change in embouchure or support as one gets older? I think what happens is it's a, uh, a change in the muscle tone. You're not so strong as you were before. And uh, because, because many of my colleagues don't practice, they lose the strength in the, in the abdomen. They lose the strength to take a really good breath to sustain a phrase to the end. There's all these sort of little things that, that happen when you get old if you're not careful enough to look after them. And I tell you, I'm speaking from personal experience. I, I mean, there are certain things I can't do now that I could just toss off 20 years ago. What would those be? Well, uh, let, let me say the first thing that gives you difficulty is the breathing. You know, breathing is a very big thing. Uh, let me put it to you like this. If you take a good breath, you really want it to last you to the end of the And you want to be able to hold the last note with some good support and not gasping. You know, flute player is kind of like a singer, aren't you? My first teacher was a singer. She learned the flute with Jeffrey Gilbert, who was the solo flutist of the Royal Philharmonic, whose conductor was Sir Thomas Beecham. That's right. And uh, she was a very good singer. I mean, she was a professional singer. She sang all, she was a mezzo, and she sang all these Bach arias and things uh, in the Queen's Hall with Sir Henry Wood conducting. Mm. He's the guy who made the new. Uh, the proms. I know. Henry so when uh, when the Luftwaffe got rid of his first concert hall, he moved to the second one. That's right. Which was the Albert Hall. The Albert Hall. Yeah. But let's talk about breath, because I find it fascinating. When I conduct, I often talk to the orchestra about breathing, because my background is accompanying singers, opera, so forth. And the phrasing... Because I know the breath in your music, in your music making, is ravishing. Every time I listen to anything that you do, I just hear that wonderful breath. So, talk to me about breathing and shaping of phrases in Baroque music versus, let's say, Romantic music or contemporary music. Do you find it any different? 
or the same ideas? The same ideas prevail. Take a good breath, stop, play. Take a good breath, hold it, sing. Sing, You don't want to be taking a a breath and singing right on the exhalation. Cantabile, cantando. I love those words. Uh Now, in shaping phrasing, this guy, for example, whose concerti you have played amazingly well. It's just beautiful. You know, there's some people that talk about the so-called movement of, um, you know, uh, classical or Renaissance playing versus contemporary. I don't know how they would know these things. But when you're playing Mozart's music, the concerti, the phrasing that a Bruno Valta would have done, I think is different to a certain extent from the phrasing that a Sir James Galway would do. Do you see where I'm going? The sentimentality, let's say. How did you? How do you deal with that? What are your thoughts or your innate qualities? Well, you know, you put me on the spot there. I don't really have any thoughts about this sort of stuff. You know, I don't. Uh, I don't get into baroque, baroque. I just play it like I think it should go, and it's it's pretty good. I mean, if you listen to my CPE Bach concertos, uh, I think they're sort of landmark and flute playing. Oh, they are. The breathing, especially in the in the third movement of the first concerto, and the last movement of the third concerto, is I think remarkable. And you know what's if remarkable? I say so. you, you, you can say it quite. And I would tell you that your recordings of the Carigliano Pied Piper Fantasy and the Lieberman Concertos, not only for flute, but also for piccolo. Yeah. Same idea. You approach the phrase yeah. using your innate sensitivity. But I will say one thing, and you probably will agree. Your experience is so broad. I think much more broad than many people. You started out as an instrument, well, solo player, obviously, in chamber music when you were coming up, but then very early on, London Symphony Orchestra, Berlin Philharmonic, then the Chieftains and Crossover and New Concerti. I mean, just so many different kinds of pieces. Film music. By the way, my son asked me whether you know any hobbits, but I th- I figured you wanted you were in a recording studio when you <laughs> when you did Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but I'll tell you, Sir James, when I list- when I saw the first film, when I saw the Fellowship of the Ring, and I heard that sound, I did not know it was you. Initially, that you had recorded the famous theme that uh, Howard Shore uh, wrote, the beautiful melody. But the minute I, I will tell you, the minute I heard that vibrato, that sound, I said, that's James Galway. I knew it. (laughs) I just knew it. Now, when did you know that you had your own sound? Because you have your own sound as much as Coleman Hawkins and, uh, you know, Charlie Parker had their own sounds. As much as they had their own sounds, you have your own sound. You don't sound like anybody else. How did you know you had that? And why? Why do you have that? I didn't know I had it. I I don't know why I have it, but I think a lot of it has to do with my first teacher, Muriel. I mean, she had in her mind the flute playing of Jeffrey Gilbert. And Jeffrey played in the French style. 
which was not popular in England at the time. But it says something for Sir Thomas Beecham when he saw this guy playing on a silver flute and with vibrato and absolutely shining. He hired him as the solo flutist of his new, new Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. And I think Muriel had this sound in her mind and she brought it to my attention. And I, I thought, well, this is the way I, this is the way I want to play. And, and then one, one day, uh, her husband, Dougie, Douglas, Dougie, don't use the phone, Dougie. He, uh, <laughs> he said to me, uh, Jimmy, I want to take you to a concert tonight. I said, okay. And it was the Wigmore Ensemble, which had Jeffrey Gilbert playing the flute, Maria Korczynska playing the harp, and Frederick Riddle playing the viola. These are all famous musicians in London. Yeah. And uh, I got along there with, uh, with my suit. Uh, which I had been wearing for the last three years and had the menus of school dinners all over them. <laughs> and I sat down and started listening to this concert and I thought, this is amazing how this guy plays the flute. Nobody plays the flute like this. And it was true at that time, nobody did play the flute like that in England anyway. Of course, in France, it's another, another matter. But uh, I got to meet Jeffrey afterwards and it was so interesting. He showed me his flute, which was an old Louis Lot flute, which he, old French flute, which he liked. And uh, then I got to eventually study with him when I went to London. I studied for three years with John Francis, who was wow. a very good teacher and uh, was very kind to me. I lived in his house as well. So is the sound um, created by an embouchure or breath or both? Three things, embouchure, breath, and the inside of the mouth. You know when you sing a scale, a simple scale, any scale like do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si, do, the embouchure changes as you go up inside your mouth and changes as you come right down. Bravo. Right? I got Sir James Goldberg so to sing on Interplay. This is fantastic. <laughs> Wait till you hear me when I get warmed up. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about your childhood. But you see what I'm talking no, about I'm here, totally, Michael? Totally, totally, it's clear. You can relate to this in the voice because it is not possible, absolutely not possible, to sing a low note with the same mouth position as a high note. And that means that every note in between has a special place and that you can only sing these notes with special, uh, what would I say, vowels. No, the, 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 the solfege too. Talk to me about the famous m section for solo flute in the fourth movement of Brahms one. Mi, re, do, sol. Talk to me about where your mouth is when you hit that high E, which just sh <laughs> shines all over the orchestra, which you've I played. Where are you, what are you doing? What are you doing in your mouth when you hit that note? Well, you know, I can't tell you because it's so long since I've played it, I can't remember. <laughs> but I, I just remember that it, it would certainly not be the embouchure for a low note. It would be the embouchure especially for E. And what's that? It's a pianist it's, that's asking. 
everything is a little bit high up and the lips are a little bit more forward like like a kiss mm. and whereas it, when you come down to the lower octave the mouth is then open inside and the lips are more extended and the the embouchure hole is a little bit broader it's wonderful this is going to cost you extra here <laughs> i'm not a cheap flute teacher i know i know i know we're going to get to the i want to talk about the go the, the galway <laughs> flute academy but that's at the end because i i just love getting this stuff out of you Talk to me about growing up in Ireland. As you know, last time oh, we saw great. each other, I was we had wonderful dinner, and I, I I remember telling you and Lady Jean that Marge and I were going to the to Ireland after I conducted the BBC in Cardiff. Right. And we and and Lady Jean says that the time you took her to see the Cliffs of Moher, she just wept. And I will tell you, yeah. traveling, I've been all over the world. But Ireland has to be one of the highlights of my life. It was just an amazing experience going from down from Dublin to Kilkenny to Kinsale, going around to Doolin and coming mm -hmm. back. Just the most amazing feeling. Do you think our speech and the way we have learned language has affected our musicianship? And no. I talked to you, I talked to you, Mr. Galway from up north no <laughs> you know there's a lot of people say that oh you know the french are very good at uh tonguing articulation you know and uh i think well what about the, there's one or two good german flute players who play very well and a few scandinavians who do that too and a lot of americans and they, none of them have a french accent what so about the Italians? Our, our friend, our friend Andrea. I mean, my God. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, listen uh, about the tonguing. Um, the reason the French are so good at it is the standard French tutor for the flute is written by Taffanel and Gobert, mm -hmm. and then the seventeen daily exercise contained in Part Two. Uh, oh, no, not Part Two. Part One. There are 22 pages on articulation. Whereas we have uh, a book by such and such a teacher, and there's one page on articulation. Uh -huh. And that's not going to do it, is it? No. You've probably seen the tapes of Heifetz teaching his students uh, scales and arpeggios and so forth, you know. But this sounds very You know, I like the story about Heifetz, the story I really kills me yeah when he when he demonstrated scale for the student he would start on uh f major and by the time he got to the top of the scale it was an e major <laughs> but, he, but he didn't notice where it changed and then he would come down again and it would start on e and come down it would be on f you know some interviewers would talk to you about your career and all the things you do and blah 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 and you know this and that and i have to say Talking to you about these uh, situations, about how to produce the sound and the embouchure and the mouth, and to me, is just fascinating. If people want to read about 
Sir James Galway, they can go to Wikipedia or your website and talk about the amazing career you've had. I will talk to you, though, next about the different kinds of music you've played because you've done everything and you still continue to do everything. I'm just amazed about the fact that you can be one year in the Van Karajan Berlin, Berlin Philharmonic and then the <laughs> next year you're working with the Chieftains. I find yeah. that to be the most extraordinary progress of anyone, any instrumentalist in the 20, 20th and 21st centuries. Well, you know why I could, you know why I did it? Because I could do it. Right. You see, when I was a kid, we didn't learn Beethoven symphonies. We learned Molly on the Shore and Flangsty's third, Jäger and Riegel, whatever, and all these sort of things. Uh, and we learned also uh, Give Me a Home with the Buffalo's Rome. And all this stuff we learned as kids because that's what was happening on the radio. So true. See, so we, we just latched onto it. And then when we went, when we got, I got a scholarship to the Royal College of Music to study with John. And uh, that was interesting because all that stuff immediately stopped. And we only played classical music like Warren yeah. Williams' Third Symphony, stuff mm. like this. But while you were in London, you were able to hear just the most amazing concerts because wasn't Sir John Barbaroli very much still working and uh, Malcolm yeah, Sargent sure. and so many others. I mean, Beecham had retired, was gone, yeah. but I mean, I find the Barbaroli yeah. years with the Halle just fascinating what was going on there. Yes. Yeah, he was a very good conductor. Uh, but I have to say, you know, when I was a kid, there were such great conductors as guests coming in. Like Rudolf Kemping conducted Lundgren at, at uh, the Royal Opera House. Absolutely. I saw him do Beethoven 9 in Zurich, by the way, when I was a coach at the yep. Zurich Opera House. He was an extraordinarily great conductor. But you saw, you saw Lundgren, which was one of his major things. What, what other conductors did you see? This was in, this was in uh, when you were up north in, in Ireland, when you saw people? No, no, no. This is when I went to London. When you went to London. So that, yes. was that, that was a Covent Garden. You saw him do Lohengrin, most likely. Yes. Yeah. Any other memories of that year? Because I know later on in the LSO, you played under Lenny for the Shostakovich, I think, yeah? Oh, that, well, that was amazing. I mean, playing with Lenny was just an, an eye-opener about what conducting was all about. I mean, he really brought the music to life, especially Shostakovich, uh, mainly because of his Jewish heritage. No question. <laughs> And Russian, Russian heritage, you know? Yes. And I think that's what really was driving him in this symphony. But you've come upon a good thing here, Sir James. You're talking about Lenny's Jewish-Russian heritage and Kusevitsky and knowing how to phrase Shostakovich. <laughs> so I'm going to put it right back on you. So my question to you, <laughs> my question to you is, is your background coming from Northern Ireland does that infl does that I know my background certainly makes a major difference in the way I write. So in the way you play, has it made any change? Does it I don't even use the word infect, but inflect, we should say, what you do. Your background. Well, I mean, it's if you're Irish it's absolutely essential when you play to 
retain your Irishness. What's that? What's Irishness? Don't ask me. I don't know. But you get it. You get it from your mom. <laughs> you get it from your mom. But what a great country. Um, what are your hopes for Ireland? Oh, I hope it would one day be uh, united and that everybody would stop beating up on each other. You feel that when you're there. I, I, feel, I feel the same way. I mean, when I was there walking those fields and those valleys and those pastures and smelling those sheep and the cows yeah. all over the place, yeah. you just love it. And the people well, You wouldn't believe it. We've, we've rented a new apartment here in, in Switzerland. And I think of going back to Ireland because right outside the, the side of the house is a field with 15 cows in it. I'm ready. I'll come. Can I rent the apartment? <laughs> I'll come. <laughs> I need a place well, to I work. Think, I think, you know, when, you're, when, you, when you grow up in Ireland as a kid, you automatically learn music. You learn, you learn singing at school. And if you, if you join a flute band, you learn a flute, you practice the flute. And I joined a flute band, and a big, people think flute bands are rather outrageous or stupid. But, you know, I learned things like uh, the Thieving Magpie Overture, and I can still play from memory the first violin part of the overture to Oberon. Fantastic. And when I went to the Royal College of Music, I was the only one sitting in the orchestra with any sort of... Uh, orchestral experience even though it was in a flute band no, and you know the 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 the, uh, the the oh what's it the, the one that starts with the draw i just mentioned it a minute ago oh the magpie um, yeah it, it goes perfect because it opens up with the drum solo right you know, it gets your attention yeah and I mean, the, 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 the side drum plays all the way through the first part of the overture. Mm -hmm. So when we learn these things, we, it really took root. And it was not only pieces like that we learned. Uh, I first played my first unfinished symphony with 36 flutes, four drums, bass drum, side drum, and, single, and, and cymbals. <laughs> you could have heard that racket. <laughs> and this was a funny thing. I thought the Jupiter Symphony was great and played it really good. And then I went to uh, I went to London and I went around to to hear Thomas Beecham conducting the BBC Orchestra in the, the Jupiter Symphony. And guess what? He swore at them all the way through <laughs> live he, performance. He swore at them. What was, yeah. he, what was he swearing about? Yeah. But the intonation it? and stuff. As he was conducting? And I was thinking, well, man, this is terrible intonation from a professional orchestra. But, I mean, it was the standard at the time. They probably had, like, no rehearsal. And <laughs> you know what that's like. Nothing's so wait changed. A wait, wait. This is during the performance. He's swearing at them while they're doing the Jupiter Symphony? Yeah, I mean, not through the whole performance. <laughs> just now and again he would turn and ask him if they were serious I don't know what he, I don't know what he was saying to him. but he was a real character oh and yeah towards the end of his life he, he, he developed this trait oh I didn't I saw you did see Beecham lucky you I, I would have loved yeah. that 
No one could turn a phrase like he could turn a phrase. It was just unbelievable, especially in like Gounod or Saint-Saëns, something like that. Just mm -hmm. amazing. Let's talk about turning. Yeah, I, like his, yeah. I like his poem. It's a genius with the De Los Angeles and Björling. Genius. I spoke to Robert Merrill yeah. about that, actually, when he came to one of my concerts early on. He Because he sang Marcello in that uh, in that recording. Mm -hmm. And he just remembered it. Beecham, by the way, had conducted La Boheme then 60 times. 6-0. Wow. So let's talk about repetition. Do you think you're better having done things years ago now? Does repetition help? I think it does, of course, uh, especially when you're practicing. How? Uh, I mean, when I'm practicing something and I can't get it on the Monday, I, there's hope for it on Tuesday. <laughs> it still doesn't work. By Wednesday, it, you, you really begin to get it. But then you might be talking about uh, repetition of pieces. Hmm. Like symphonies. Yeah, well, when you were in or doing orchestral playing. Yeah, well, I think, for example, Carrion, when he, he, I think he conducted the Beethoven symphonies maybe four times. The recordings. Re recorded. Yeah, there's four recordings. At least three anyway. Yes, sir. And uh, everything got better. The technical, the technical aspect of it got better. And he had been driving his Rolls-Royce Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra for several years before that. And Quite they, true. they really began to knit together in a way that other orchestras didn't. Well, I'm hearing that recently with Sir Mark Elder's work with the Halle, because he's been there 20 years. It makes a big difference. The Halle now yes, is just fantastic the way they just combine. And he's able to work with them. It's just the most incredible thing. Um, I know I listened to them recently uh, doing an, uh, a Nielsen flute concerto, and I thought it was remarkable. Remarkable. I'm curious, uh, getting back to your morning regimen, and then we'll talk about the, the Institute. How do you wake up in the morning? I know Pablo Casals used to play the uh, prelude and fugues, you know, from the well-tempered clavier every morning on piano. What's your regimen in the morning? How do you start up the day? Oh, you're going to like this, Michael. Yes, I sir. get up, have breakfast, and then go back to bed. <laughs> okay. And then you get up again, and now you're talking Then to I get me. up and have lunch. I have a lunch. All right. But it's only, it's only because I'm rather elderly uh, that I do all the sleeping business. Well, you know, there's a, there's a line from uh, The Wizard of Oz. I get up at 10 and start to uh, I get up at 12 and start to work at 1 have an hour for lunch and then at 2 we're done you know like jolly old fun so so again when you're not sleeping yeah. <laughs> or eating <laughs> yeah. both of which we both enjoy what's your regimen mm -hmm. as far as practicing how do you start up I play scales on arpeggios that's all. And now, uh, sometimes I, I practice a, a piece if I need to demonstrate it uh, to the students online. For example, uh, if I want to demonstrate uh, something like breathing, I take the second movement of the suite by Vidor, 
for the flu, which is really very difficult for the breathing. And what I try to convey to the student is, when you get to the end of this place in the music, the note should be full and have a full support. It should not, you shouldn't be empty. Right. Otherwise, you're not going to have the, the rich tone that you really are searching for if you don't take. And of course, you know, in the additions that I make, I, I mark breathings in all over the place because there's a lot of students and people taking breaths. They say, oh, I don't need to take out breath. And I think this is the bad news. You really do need to take that breath because it's not, it's not really supported. It's only blown. I'm fascinated also by the, your impact uh, in the field of specially commissioned flutes. I think from three companies. Oh, yeah. Computers. Now, let's talk about that. How are they commissioned? And what are you looking for from either, I don't know, from the uh, Galway Crusader flute or the Nagahara flute series or the Q series uh, that's put out by Haynes? I mean, what? how are they different? And what are you telling them, telling them to do when they manufacture them? Well, we're, try we're trying to get uh, flutes that are of a high enough quality and cheap enough for students to afford and for young professionals to afford. You know, and, 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 and I, I do my best to influence uh, the most important part of the flute, which is the, the embouchure plate, mm. the little chimney that you blow on here. Does it matter what they're made out of? Silver, gold, platinum? Uh, I, I, I know my flute makers are going to kill me, but I don't think so. <laughs> It's up here. Um, it's here. I, mean, I, I play on a platinum flute with a platinum riser. This is the, the little bit we're talking about, the riser. Some people have gold risers. Some people have a complete gold flute. I have several complete gold flutes, and I like them all. In fact, the most popular flute that I own is the one that I used for the most of my recording career and it's the one with the diamonds in it wow what are the diamonds made by miramatsu in, in america what are the diamonds now, of course i play a different i play a nakahara and from boston but i play all these flutes all the time you know i play three or four, four of them all the time yeah. just change but mostly i play my platinum one because i get the best the Flute Academy, ta-da! Well, it sort of came about after 30 years of teaching. The same time, the same place, and the same scales. And gradually, we saw from this collection of people who came to the class, they began to get jobs in places like uh, Chicago Symphony. London Symphony, all these sort of places. Little little bands. Uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, really big time flute players they all became. I mean, one of them just now has gone off to uh, Abu Dhabi to, to teach the flute. Okay. And she'll be a very good teacher because, you know, she plays everything from memory. Wow. And plays it very well, too, I have to say. 
at the Flute Academy, I know that it's virtual this year, but in the past you've been at some very lovely locations um, in uh, your area, and I think in you know in Europe. Um, what's yeah. the, what's the basic curriculum? What are you offering there, offering there? Well, I'll give you a description of how the day starts. Please. In the morning, we have breakfast around about eight o'clock. And then we have uh, warm-ups. And, and, and at the same time, I play the kids some films of flute players, including myself and Marcel Moyes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we start doing an uh, interpretation of sound, how to get a good sound. So we do that for a bit, for about an hour. And then I begin to teach each privately. So I, everyone gets a 40-hour, a 40-minute lesson. Then it rolls along to lunchtime, and we have three 40-minute lessons in the afternoon. Maybe five, not sure. Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I know Lady, and, Jean, uh, Lady Jean is very active with you in this, in this academy. And, and the two, yes, she is. The two of you are powerhouses in the way you put this together. It is extraordinary. I know there's a lovely website, and um, I love seeing the when she puts little quotes about it. So yeah, and she she does a very good job teaching as well. Yeah, because not everybody wants to sit and listen to me talking about the second movement of a box and out of her half an hour. Lady Jane, come on, come on, <laughs> come on, turn her, come on around for a second. I'd love to see you. Join us. Hi. Hi there. Yeah, this there is, is my baby. You talk. You're talking about my baby here. The the <laughs> academy. Um, I was just on the phone actually with my assistant, and she's making a whole new timeline and format for what we're going to be releasing October first. What is that? Virtually. Um, you know, our academy is just bringing everyone together, and the purpose. Uh, it's just an umbrella for everything that we do. And all our outreaches, our community events, we've been doing all over the world. Every time we had a concert, you know, bring it for kids. We work with the Ravinia Music Matters program. We support right. that. We we support so many programs. And one of the big things that we have done that got stalled that I'm just working on now is our 80 for 80. And for my husband's 80th birthday, we decided to go to some flute companies and ask for 80 flutes to distribute <laughs> to some some organizations that we work with, one of them being HOLA out in Los Angeles, you know, the heart of Los Angeles. Right. And also the Kaplan Music Center that we're Beautiful. big supporters of um, in, in in New York and some other various and also the Music Matters program in Ravinia and also some in England, Ireland, everywhere we are. Um, but as soon as we reached 80, which was very quick, my number went up to 800. <laughs> <laughs> because that, right. uh, you know, it's, this Galway Gives Back is what we're all about. And um, so what we did initiate this summer was uh, the Galway at Home ser- series, which is our free, um, you know, live Facebook uh, teaching. Fabulous. And, uh, you know, it's all about mentoring. I just just now wrote to two of my students that were communicating Um you know, especially now, we have to really, really, we have to get out of our little shell here and encourage the others. And um, it's a little hard. It's hard for us, too, because, you know, it's just everything for us has stopped, too. But we just have to I keep know. pushing ahead. Well, the know? pushing is great. And frankly, the impact that you both have had 
over so much time and and going into the future. I have the best wishes for both of you. Uh, you. You both understand German, but I'll give you some Yiddish, which is bis 120, which is the age of uh, Moses. <laughs> So you got you got forty more years there, Jim, Jimmy. <laughs> you got a lot of flute playing left. So, so James, go well, Michael, away. Michael, maybe we could get you on one. Maybe we can get you on one of our series. We'd like to interview you too because we bring in all different artists from the fields. We would love that, and the students would too. I'm you there. Know, we, I'm there. Thank I'm, you. I'm actually thank here, you. and you're there, but I'm with you. I would right, love right. to help you anytime. That would be great. So James Galway, Lady Jean Galway, this has been an immense pleasure for you to join me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Bye you, for Michael. Now. Take care. This is Michael Bye. Shapiro okay. on Interplay, Conversations in Music. You've heard Sir James Galway and Lady Jane Galway. Thank you both.